Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Simply Vegan podcast with me, Holly Johnson, and my co-host, Gabriella Clark. Each week, we discuss the latest vegan news, taste test new products, and chat to some of the leading names in veganism. This week's episode of the Simply Vegan podcast is brought to you by Alpro My Cupper, the new plant-based drink from Alpro, formulated specifically for use in tea. I'm sure many of you can relate when we say it's not the easiest thing to find a plant-based drink that makes the perfect cuppa. At best, they taste a bit different, and at worst, they totally curdle. Well, not anymore. Alpro My Cuppa is the first plant-based product that performs like semi-skimmed in tea to give you the perfect cuppa without compromise every time. Alpro My Cuppa is available in the chillers at Sainsbury's, Waitrose and Morrison's. Thank you to Alpro and My Cuppa. Hi, Gabriella. Hi, Holly. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Did your parcel arrive in the post this week? My much-anticipated parcel <laughs> did indeed arrive. We are a happy household this week. <laughs> so for anyone who's wondering what we're talking about, um, we've spent the last few episodes um, waiting for some uh, cheese to arrive for a taste test that we, um, we'd planned. So yes, it came this week and... <laughs> We can finally share the results with you. So it's from Palace Culture based in London. Um, and oh, it was just delicious. How was yours? Absolutely delightful. So impressed. Really impressed. What I love about this company is all the, um, so it's nut-based cheese. So they use almond and cashews and it's all sustainably sourced or and organic. They... I think they soak it first with filtered water and sort of blend it with a live culture. So it's actually good for your gut as well. So, um, yeah, loads of reasons to uh, <laughs> eat Basically, more cheese. Yeah. <laughs> a healthy cheese. You're not going to get told that very often. Um, so which ones did you try? So I had um, a jar of the cream cheese in the original flavour, a smoked cream cheese yeah. and then kind of spicy harder cheese as well um I have to say 
favorites for us were the cream cheeses they were just phenomenal really amazing um such beautiful thick whipped texture really amazing flavor and quite a unique flavor it didn't feel like a cheese that was trying to be a dairy cheese it was a standout product on its own I thought yeah um we had it on crackers we had it on bread um with grapes with figs with fruit it was absolutely delicious however we tried it and um actually I haven't got round to it but I thought that the the cream cheeses would be amazing in things like pasta sauces as well they were so creamy that's a good idea which ones did you have I was sent the uh, again two um creamed cheeses in jars one Mm -hmm. was a truffle black pepper cream cheese Mm. and you have to try it Gabriella it is incredible so good in fact that I ate I mean not on my own with my family ate the whole jar (laughs) and then tried to recreate it myself by looking at the list of ingredients did it go Um, well well it wasn't great no but I mean it was edible but yeah nowhere near as good as um the the palace culture one um I was also sent carrot locks with dill Again, mm. in the in the, this is in the jar, um, creamed, and oh, that was just amazing! Tiny little bits of carrot. Um, wow, just tasted just like um, smoked salmon and cream cheese. It was delicious. Um, and then the third was um, the Old West Smoky, which was um, still a soft cheese, but more um, sort of like a, a round cheese. Mm. Um, that you'd you'd perhaps have on a cheese board that was lovely Mm -hmm. it was really smoky and slightly spicy a really unusual flavor our harder cheese the round one that you might have on a cheese board had a real kick to it actually um for us the spice the chipotle the chili element of it was much more prevalent than any sort of cheese taste so it'd be quite a a unique one to have on a cheese board really flavor so what do you think about the price point because they're not cheap are they they're not however I have sort of come to expect that for really good quality artisan vegan cheeses and I am prepared to pay a bit more for a cheese that's been made by a smaller business for me it's not something that I'm going to add to to my weekly shopping list every single week but it's definitely a treat that I would have in say for a Saturday evening movie night or if we have friends over or an occasion definitely something I would go back to and be be happy to pay that for an occasion for sure yeah so they're about seven to eight pounds um but I I agree, actually, I think for a special treat or, you know, perhaps just for the weekend, it's 100 percent worth it, especially because it's organic and mm. sustainably sourced. You know, for me, that makes it really worth it. Um, Definitely. And I think we've touched recently before about the importance of of supporting these smaller businesses and their smaller batches. So you know, you expect the price to be a bit, little bit higher. If that's what I was paying for, say, a cheddar that I'm going to buy every single week in, in Sainsbury's or Tesco's or whatever, then that would probably be too high for me. But like you say, for a special buy, 
it feels okay yeah I think for Christmas I'd probably get a couple for for the cheese board and then perhaps a few cheaper you know supermarket ones like the smoked applewood cheese um, that we buy regularly actually that's one of the things that I wanted to mention as well it was the packaging and they were obviously sent to us on a 24-hour service so when I unwrapped it in the morning it was still cold in the box they sent it with the cooler um cooler facilities inside the packaging but the actual packaging is really lovely and makes them really quite giftable I thought if you were going to somebody else's house for Christmas or for a weekend and you wanted to take um like a nice hamper they look like a really lovely gift in the same way you might gift a a farm farm shop cheese if you were eating dairy yeah and, you know, they were in glass jars with the metal lids really lovely I thought yeah they do do um hampers actually so yes we would wholly recommend palace culture have a look at their website they um deliver nationwide so that was Big a hit <laughs> yeah, thank you palace culture so let's talk about the news in relation to veganism over the last week We've got the results of a new study that have been released. Um, It's a fairly small study that's been done in Germany, but it's worth discussing because the results were fairly interesting. Um, The vegans in the group were not deficient in B12, which is something that's commonly associated with a vegan diet. However, a third of them were deficient in iodine. Now, iodine is found um, naturally in fish, eggs and dairy products. And it's also found in seaweed as well as courgettes, kale, whole grains, watercress, iodized salt, and organic potatoes with their skin on. An iodine deficiency can force the thyroid to absorb iodine from the blood, which may lead to hyperthyroidism. So it's obviously something that we need to be aware of. Is it something that that you factor into your diet, Gabriella? Yeah, I think um, I was really interested reading this study, actually. Um, And I don't know if you're the same, Holly, but I feel immense pressure, more so than I did before I was vegan, to get everything that I need from my diet. Um, Just, I don't know if it's because most of the things you read say, oh, as a vegan, you're likely to be deficient in X, Y, or Z. But Mm -hmm. I do really feel um, the pressure to make sure that I'm eating a very varied, nutritious, fulfilling, rich diet, which I certainly wasn't paying much attention to when I was eating meat, fish and dairy. Um, So in that way, I suppose it's good because it makes you pay more attention to what you're putting in your body. Um, B12 is obviously the big one everyone watches out for. And I I recognised in the study that most of the the reason why people weren't showing as B12 deficiency is probably an education piece, i.e. most vegans know they're likely to be deficient in B12 and so supplement accordingly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I feel sometimes a low level fear when I read these, these new studies thinking, oh my goodness, what else am I missing out on? (laughs) Um, so I think it's always good for a reassurance piece, um, which I know we did is to, to do some reading into how you can get those things into your diet. And most of the time you are already eating them. 
exactly. I mean, it like you said, I was exactly the same actually before I went vegan. I didn't ever, you know, I just tried to eat fruit and veg most days, but I just didn't think about all the individual mm. nutrients. And when you do go vegan, you certainly learn a lot about nutrition, don't you? Mm. Um, you need a tiny, tiny amount of, of this, um, 140 micrograms per day. And a microgram is a millionth of a gram. So it's just a tiny bit that you need. And, and actually, it can be harmful to have too much. So it's, it's such a complex area in nutrition, isn't it? And, and you sort of, when you, when you start looking into things and see studies like this, you, you do start to sort of panic a bit and think, oh no, I need to, you know, especially with me, I have a vegan daughter. So, you know, I worry that I'm not give, sort of covering all bases. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, a supplement kind of ticks the boxes, doesn't it? So the vegan society do their own range of supplements that, you know, so then you're, you're sure you're, sort of covering covering everything off I mean I I do eat seaweed quite regularly do you yeah so that's one of the the best sources of iodine isn't it for um, a vegan diet so yeah I use um nori sheets quite often in cooking I think I've mentioned before that we cook quite a lot of uh Asian food yeah and um so often incorporate those into our diet uh one of our favorites is a seaweed and tofu broth or soup lovely with bamboo shoots and carrots in really warming and surprisingly hearty dish for this time of year but just a different flavor so yeah we do how about you yeah I'm the same I sort of chuck nori into Asian dishes Um, I make chickpea tuna so I mash up chickpeas and add um, garlic lemon juice the the whizzed up nori sheet uh, whizz that up in my um what's it called my nutrient <laughs> um and so I have that quite regularly perhaps with a jacket potato or something like that um how else do I use it sometimes I'll use it instead of like a a wheat wrap like a tortilla wrap I'll I'll use the nori sheet and sort mm-hmm. of wrap up um, perhaps hummus and vegetables for lunch I did have some uh, doll's flakes they were quite good because they're already flaked so you can just sort of shake it onto top of things oh, um, but I guess the problem is that some people don't like the taste it's quite a fishy taste isn't it so you know if, if you mm. sort of don't like fish perhaps you need to look into one of the other sources the thing is it, you can you can get iodine from um dairy however I think it's only present in dairy because farmers give supplements to the animals so it's not actually a natural source I was also reading that it can be found in milk because it's used to clean the udders of the cows iodine in cow's milk is not a natural component but comes from supplements in the feed and iodine containing disinfectants used to sterilize milking milking equipment and added to teat dips and udder washes oh that's horrid Mm. oh another reason not to eat dairy (laughs) i know i know when you're reading these studies it's quite quick to say where vegans are deficient in something but not necessarily question the ways this maybe not so 
healthy ways you're eating it if you or consuming it if you're having dairy or meat yeah like you say it's often the animal is being supplemented and then you're eating the animal who's consumed the supplements yeah so I'd argue it's much more efficient for you to either just take the supplement yourself or eat one of the natural ways in which it's present there's a really good article on veganfoodliving.com if anyone wants to read more on that so finally shall we talk about I'm a celebrity do you watch it have you ever watched it (laughs) I do I have to say I think I've watched probably every year have you (laughs) oh my goodness quite, quite a big fan for me it's really uh like signals the time of year and and it's kind of the countdown to to Christmas it's so dark at this time of year in the evenings that um I'm not generally a huge tv watcher so I have a couple of things that um I like to get into when it when it's time and yeah and uh I have to say I'm a celebrity is one of them how about you I I'm not a huge TV watcher either um and I I yeah I've I've seen I think one episode this series I just Mm -hmm. kind of catch it now and again so I'm not a big follower of it but they have been in the news this week um because the RSPCA have, have called for them to stop using live animals um you know that are coming to harm or becoming stressed because they're in confined Mm. spaces the episode I saw was I think it was Shane Ritchie and Jordan North yes Jordan North from Radio One yeah um and they were in these sort of like coffin like containers with snakes going being sort of released inside and yeah it didn't sit well with me at all I just can't watch it because I just feel to me it just feels wrong that that in this day and age they're using live animals for you know entertainment purposes but obviously you watch it every year so how do you feel about it I mean I don't know again if I'm a terrible vegan um quite honestly I haven't given it a second thought right I don't know whether because I've watched the show for so many years that I hadn't kind of I just have come to expect it and I'm probably mindlessly consuming the show rather than watching it with a with any sort of intellectual head on which says more about me I suppose than (laughs) anything else but um yeah I mean I read I read the article um on it and saw that ITV released a statement as would have been expected by them I suppose that said they worked in Australia very clearly with an animal protection body to make sure that the animal welfare was of a high priority of course there's no getting around the fact that they are being used for entertainment purposes which when I sit and think about it isn't ideal um so yeah raises an interesting point it's it's funny because you know obviously they're calling for you know these live animals not to be used but then you know you kind of and and a lot of people I think disagree with it but then you kind of think about how we're treating animals in you know factory farming situations Mm. and you know you just it kind of opens up this whole debate doesn't it you know like Mm. it's a good one to to bring up and definitely for me I mean when I read the headline I was a bit 
oh for goodness sake what's what's this now um yeah but equally I'm horrified at the idea of of factory farming and you know a lot of animal welfare practices that are linked to things like the meat and dairy industry so does that make me a hypocrite maybe so I think you know it's worth uh reading these articles and maybe questioning questioning things that you might not have thought about before oh well let's wrap it up there thank you and we'll be back same time next week next up i speak to gemini de silva undercover filmmaker and animal rights activist hi holly how are you good thank you I have to say, I'm a little bit nervous about talking to you today because um, as I mean, as I'm sure many vegans are the same, they sort of passionately care about animals and they're sort of a bit afraid of of hearing all the gruesome details of what goes on. OK, well, I won't go into gruesome details. <laughs> <laughs> or not to actually, because, you know, you don't want to turn your audience off exactly by going into the horrible things that happen on yeah. farms and research well, labs etc it's so hard isn't it because you want you know you want people to be aware of what actually goes on but at the same time I think people like me who are a bit sensitive like you know might keep me awake at night so it's I yeah. suppose it's finding a balance isn't it so how did you go into veganism I mean there's so many various ways of the of pathways to veganism these days so yeah uh, so I um I've always been a, a huge animal lover and I was a vegetarian mm. when I was younger um and then sort of you know as a teenager just sort of you just I don't know just sort of went off my radar a little yeah. bit um and then it was about just over three years ago I met a woman who was running a local fitness class um and she I was sort of quite into nu- the nutrition side of it so she sort of educated me and then obviously I you know looked into everything further and you kind of go oh I should have done this a long time ago so yeah I think it was a huge you know it's just like being asleep your whole life isn't it and then suddenly someone opening a door and going this is the reality yeah Um, absolutely so yeah and obviously you've seen that reality more than most I'd imagine I've seen some, yeah, I've seen some horrible things and witnessed some horrible things, but I'm, I'm an optimist, you know, I really think, you know, I've seen, you know, I've been a vegan 32 years now. Oh, wow, that's amazing. And I've kind of seen change in how attitudes to veganism has approached and attitudes to animal rights, you know, back when I first started, it was impossible to get a meal out, it was, uh, yeah. yeah, you kind of thought of as a crank, Yeah. <laughs> whereas now you're not, which is, you know, it's great, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've and, come uh, so far just in the last few years, I think, haven't we? So hopefully we'll yeah. just, it'll, it'll continue like that. And hopefully, you know, that's why I think, you know, part of people seeing, you know, people, how people become vegans. I read somewhere, I was listening to, God, how many podcasts am I listening to? Somewhere <laughs> yesterday <laughs> that, you know, documentaries are one of the main areas that people have gone into become veganism. And, yeah, definitely. You know, and, and that raising awareness. And, uh, yeah, so uh, hopefully I've been part of that. Yeah. So do you want to start off by telling us a little bit about what you do and and how you got into what you do? Okay, well, I'm an activist, filmmaker, animal photojournalist. Um, I probably spent the best part of the last three and a half decades 
shining a light on relation, man's relationship with animals, on how we use animals for food, fashion, entertainment, companionship and research. Um, 15 years ago, I set up a company called Tracks Investigations to carry out undercover investigations on how we use animals. Um, and Tracks really supports animal welfare and animal rights charities um, creating content so they can use that for their campaigns and their lobbying purposes. So to date, you know, in the last 15 years, we've done 250 investigative assignments around the world, been to 57 countries and helped the work of 35 animal welfare charities. Wow, that's incredible. So yeah. how, did, how did you get into it? Um, I first got involved in investigations back in 1988. Now that's 32 years ago when I joined a film and video collective in Oxford where I live and its motto was give voice to those underrepresented in the mainstream media and at the time I was an animal rights activist and I thought wow this is a great opportunity to combine my passion for filmmaking and combine my passion for animal rights activism. So I decided to make a film about factory farming and no films had been done about factory farming in 1988. It was literally an unknown thing. Um, and when I joined this film and video collective, it had, I had access to video cameras. And again, the video cameras were quite new on the market in 1988. Yeah. It was before the days of camcorders. So yeah. you had a heavy camera and a separate recorder. And we basically decided to go and look into to factory farms. So we spent two years um, gaining access to the farms and doing research into farms you know and again we didn't have the internet then so we'd go into libraries look into yellow pages look where farms were and then plot routes and so it took two years to actually make this film and finally we made this film and we got it screened on sky and the film was wow. called meathead and it was a kind of a surreal drama documentary about factory farming. So we tried to make it upbeat. So we had a couple of pop stars of the day acting in it and it had a music background. So that's, you know, it was kind of an MTV type program. And it was it was um, run by Boy George, actually. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I went on an interview with Boy George back in 1990 talking about veganism. <laughs> Gosh, is that still available to view online or anything or? It is actually. If you come to a Tracks Investigations website, we've got a Vimeo link, and okay. then you can, and you can see Meathead and a very young me talking about um, the power of the consumer thirty years ago. Oh, brilliant! I'd love to see that. Well, he asked this question, which still resonates with me today. He says, "Don't you think it's the government's responsibility to act and you know make changes?" And I always said, "Well, it is the government's responsibility to act, but it's also." the individual consumer's responsibility you know we have got power to create change yeah. you know by the individual choices that we that we make in, in our yeah. life so and I still hold that, that still hold by that today really you know we don't have to wait for governments to make legislation you know each individual can make a difference and as I said then you know each individual times millions times tens tens thousands millions actually makes a difference and exactly uh, yeah, I still hold on to that today. Yeah, it's very true. So the first factory farm that you filmed in, did you expect to see what you saw or was it much worse? 
I don't think anything can prepare you for when you first go into a factory farm. So, you, know, you might have seen a leaflet, you might have seen a photograph, but when you actually open the door, I went to, first factory farm I went to was a broiler unit. And broiler units are chickens that are bred for meat. Mm. And, you know, you open the door and you enter what you call an antechamber. And that's just before you get into the main barn. And the first thing you see there is little sheets of paper where they've got what they call cull records. And it's got a list of how many animals or how many birds have actually died. So it's, you know, so that's the first thing that shocks you is, okay, they're expecting million, they're expecting hundreds of birds to die in this unit. Yeah. But then you kind of open the door and you, you're just confronted by it's almost a vision of a nightmare. You know, you have 30, 20 to 30,000 birds in a shed. And what affects you first is the noise. It's absolutely horrendous. It's just, you know, you've got the noise of 20 to 30,000 birds. You've got the squawking. You've got the the noise of these industrial fans going around because these birds, you know, they create so much heat. There needs to be a lot of ventilation. Yeah. And so it's really noisy. And then it's the smell. You know, it's kind of like all your senses are attacked at the same time. So first it's the noise and then it's the, the smell because, you know, you've got 20 to 30,000 birds living in horrendous conditions, basically living on their feces for six weeks. And it's, you know, it's a buildup of ammonia that kind of hits the back of your throat. And it's, yeah. And then finally you know you've got this vision you know your, your senses so you've got your noise you know you've, you've got the you've got the smell and then the, you, then what you see is absolutely horrific you know you you're trying to document it and you know you're going to document factory farms to actually document the conditions of the farm of the, the animals within the farms and so you kind of try and focus on individual birds and see you know, try and document them. And some of these birds are in pitiful states, you know. In, with broiler chickens, they've been genetically bred, so their legs can't basically hold up their bodies. So you're seeing these crippled birds just trying to walk and mm. just having pain, you know, and then they end up basically falling backwards and then just lying on, as I said, mentioned, you know, on... A bed of feces basically it's 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 really it really shocks you and yeah. nothing can kind of prepare you for that and uh, I mean each time I go into a factory farm I actually dread it I you know it's not something that I enjoy doing no. it's like I kind of have to build myself up okay I, you know I'm there to do a job I'm there to kind of document these hidden stories really of of what's be kept behind these you know the closed doors of these factory farms yeah so do you go to all, you know, do you cover sort of all kinds of animal factory farms? So pigs and cows and. Yeah, I mean, we've been to, I mean, tracks, we've been to, so we've done 250 assignments and we've probably, yeah, we've done turkeys. We've been to egg laying hens. We've been to broiler chickens. Uh, yeah, we've done to pigs. <laughs> we've done cattle. We've done long distance transport of cattle. So yeah. basically any way that we can use animal for food I think we've actually documented it yeah I um I mean before I went vegan I I was one of these people that thought you know I don't support factory farming so I would buy 
free range eggs or, you know, good quality yeah. in inverted commas yeah. um, meat for my family. Um, obviously now I know what I know. I, you know, would never buy any animal products. Um, but I, I went to rescue some chickens um, last year. My mum has quite a large garden and her chickens had sort of got old and died. Yeah. Um, and she had a bit of space and saw that, you know, some needed rescuing. And it was a local free range farm. So, you know, I thought, oh, they're just going to be running around the bar, you know, the, the um, farmyard and we'll just kind of pick, pick a few up and take them home and it'll all be lovely. And even that had a shed with, I think it was 6,000 in. Um, there were a couple running around outside, but the rest were inside. And like you say, it's just such a shock to see that many animals in one space. And that's obviously the best kind of place you could get your eggs from i know free range is quite a quite an interesting area really because most of them are kept in barns yeah. and even though they've got access to the outside they tend to stay inside because if you want to get chickens outside you've kind of got to replicate their their natural jungle homes because these are like jungle birds so you need to kind of have trees and you know i know there have been some experimental free range farms which actually grow trees and actually do have a better welfare but a lot of the majority of the free range eggs that you'll buy will be in these barn conditions and I remember when I first went to one it was an RSPCA assured freedom foods farm yeah <laughs> and I thought oh this would be good yeah know. this would be lovely <laughs> and it was it, it was yeah I actually thought it would be lovely yeah it would be lovely and it's of course, of course, it's not as horrific as a normal factory farm. It's not as horrific as a normal broiler unit, but on the other hand, it's still a far away from the rural idyllic scene that you that you see on the packaging. You know, you've got these yeah. birds that are still suffering, and yeah, it's. Um, I would always say to people, you know, even though I've been a vegan thirty-two years and advocate you know animal rights, sometimes it does take time to you know. I think free range food has got its place, you know, I think, um, yeah, I think it has got its place, but obviously I'm a, I'm a it's, there's a journey that people take. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So if they're going to eat, you know, animal products, you'd rather it was free range. <laughs> it's, quite hard, it's quite hard to say that, but yes, obviously yeah. I would because yeah. you know, for the animal's sake, you know, yeah. I would advocate yeah and nowadays it's so easy to eat a plant-based diet you know yeah and, exactly but when I first started 32 years ago being a vegan you know getting food in a restaurant was impossible you know yeah. going to a supermarket was was very difficult you know you had very basic foods whereas now I don't think there's any excuse for people saying there's a lack of choice because you know I can go to my corner shop and buy oat milk and soy or ice cream yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's not like you know I think anywhere especially in the UK you know you you there's no excuse not to be vegan no because because the availability is there yeah yeah we're very lucky now aren't we yeah how do you cope with such distressing situations when you go into these factory farms I mean that's an interesting question um I mean, I try and be professional when I go into a factory farm. You know, I'm, in, I'm there to document um, the hidden lives of animals. So I kind of try and hide behind the camera, really. You know, I hide behind the camera lens. And it's often only when I get home, only when I'm reviewing the footage, that 
it really hits me you know it hits me of what I've seen because you yeah. know I've got it in front of a computer screen in front of me um so that's my main mechanism of coping is trying to be professional really and actually think I'm a filmmaker here you know I've turned into not an animal rights activist as such I'm, I'm a professional filmmaker trying to document these lives and it's kind of it's kind of a duty you know you kind of a duty to help those animals by telling their stories and being as professional as possible and the other thing I try and do is try and don't keep those images into my head you know it's very hard keeping those images or getting rid of those images but I'm I kind of think these aren't really mine to keep you know these images should be kept shouldn't be kept in my head but should go out there so I always try and work with organizations to get those images out there and that kind of keeps you sane when you can see millions of people have watched those images and those images have helped change legislation or helped increase public awareness it kind of makes it all worthwhile it's all yeah. worthwhile what so you said you know you've obviously um you've seen that when your videos go out you can see that millions of people have watched them what other positive results have come from your work well i think investigations can have an impact in two ways really one is raising public awareness and the other way is actually having changes in legislation and with public awareness again i've been proud to been part of the animal welfare animal rights movement for the last 30 years as which has got images into the public domain. You know, we see the a number of organisations doing investigations. We see the number of documentaries out there. And these actually have made an influence to people's uh, choices on choices what they eat. But also, and perhaps more importantly, or equally as importantly, we've actually involved, we've actually achieved legislative change. We've actually had laws which have been made as a result of our footage to improve the welfare of animals. I mean, I mean, just last year, for example, we did uh, investigations into fur farms in both France and Belgium. And we've been doing these investigations for a number of years, probably about six investigations in all over nine years. And two years ago, Belgium decided to, as a result of the investigations and the campaigning, by our partner group to ban fur farms in Belgium. And, and again, France, we've been doing a number of investigations in France and only last month they announced they were going to close down their last fur farms in France. So when you actually think, you know, it's, it's a long process. And I think that's important to note with investigations, you're not going to get overnight success. You know, you've got to be in it for the long haul and, you know, I, I have been in it for the long haul and hopefully continue to be in the yeah. long haul. But we've also had, you know, very direct effects. We did an investigation again in France last year of three circus, ex-circus fairs, which were kept in these, what would be called dungeons, basically. And they were in horrific conditions. You know, they were, we've been tipped off that they were being kept in terrible conditions and they're kind of performing bears, which go out to medieval fairs and, in France but as a result of our footage we managed to get within a month of the footage being released those bears released to a sanctuary and to know you've actually helped individual lives is is absolutely amazing to know that those bears aren't going to be pasting around in their six foot 
concrete dungeon without any bedding, you know. So it's had a very direct effect as well as legislation effects. But um, yeah, so it has, I mean, there's lots of other examples of legislation. I mean, we did an investigation into long distance transport of calves down from Scotland to um, mainland Europe last year. And we worked with a partner organisation and they actually took the Scottish government to court saying these journeys were illegal and they used our footage as evidence of the illegal nature of these journeys because basically with long distance transport animals have to be rested at certain times and we were kind of proving that it actually couldn't happen within the legislation yeah so you know we we got legislation so we know now the calves from scotland are going to go in you know being transported thousands of miles to mainland europe to be ending up in 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 veal crates so yeah i mean that that that's that kind of keeps us going really that we've actually created change and keeps us keeps us wanting to go on further and carry on this work yeah so what are some of the organizations that you work with is it sort of compassion in world farming and yes i mean um, i actually used to work at compassion in world farming i oh, okay. worked at compassion in world farming for seven years setting right. up their investigations unit that was in 1998 oh, amazing. so and they were i mean they're a great organization because they you know, advocate the welfare of animals and you know, and I certainly, as a vegan, thought they were a great organisation because it helps people, makes people aware of what the realities of factory farming were. So yeah. I've worked for Compassion in Oil Farming. Um, I also used to work at Cruelty Free International. And so and that they do work on lab animals. Um, so we've worked for, I mean, Gosh, most of our organisations are European organisations. So we work for organisations called Gaia, One Voice, uh, Animal Protection Organisation, Animals Australia, Animals International, Born Free Foundation. Yeah. So we've worked for thirty-five. We've worked for thirty-five international NGOs, you know, including right. Greenpeace, and yeah, it's it's the whole. Most of the main animal organisations that you see, we work for. Yeah. And that's how we work, really. We kind of create their content. We create investigative content and hand it over to them, and then they kind of promote the material. So you know, we're we're we kind of specialise in doing the investigations. We're not really campaigners, we or lobbyists. You know, we we like to think you know we're, we're yeah we do the investigations, and they can get the footage out there. Yeah, you know, as part of the team, really. So is it undercover work? There's a number of ways we do our work. I mean, one of the ways we get into factory farms is using trespass. So that's kind of, and in the UK, trespass is not a criminal activity. You know, you can't, might get sued by the farmer, you know, in, in a county court, but it's not a criminal activity. So we don't break any, it's not breaking an entry because we don't break or damage any, any anything to get in there. You know, we yeah. go through open doors. So a lot of our footage is obtained you know, under the cover of darkness. But sometimes, I mean, we've been to the United States, for example, and they've got these what they call ag, ag gag laws, which make um, distribution or obtaining footage by trespass difficult. So we have to kind of think of new ways to actually get this footage. So when we asked by an American organisation to get footage of chickens, we pretended 
we were going to be buying these factory farms. <laughs> so right. a couple of us went in as investors and we basically got, we spent two weeks going around a variety of factory farms, getting estate agents look, showing us around these factory farms. And that was an incredible insight into the, into the industry, actually. So right. not only did we see um, inside, inside, the, inside the sheds and inside the sheds and conditions of the animals, but actually got an insight into the industry and how, how it worked. And that was as, almost as revealing as anything else. So, but there's other ways we actually get into farms is it get into our work is, um, is to go undercover. It's basically our fake companies. So, you know, we'll have fake websites and we'd approach people with, it's kind of investigative journalism techniques really. Yeah. Kind of, it's what you call a classic sting <laughs> in a newspaper journal. So you'd actually set up a company, for example, we, were involved in looking at the puppy smuggling trade from of young puppies, the illegal puppy smuggling trade of young puppies from Eastern Europe to the UK. And we set up a fake website of um, a puppy website, basically. And we were approaching these dodgy dealers to, um, to supply us with puppies, really. So, you know, we had to try and think of ingenious ways to actually get this footage and yeah, so it's undercover sometimes, undercover of the darkness or undercover of a, a kind of sub, subterfuge, really. Yeah. Yeah. And has COVID affected your ability to kind of, because obviously you haven't been able to travel so much, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> COVID has a, a dramatic impact on our work this year because I would say 90 to 95% of our work was or is based abroad right. and not in the UK. So we had a small window of opportunity that we managed to do two or three projects in August and September. And again, those projects were, had great impact. For example, we did a project on fur farming in France. You know, we did a, um, um, a project on rabbit angora wool and that's you know there's so many facets for example i mean that's for vegans that's that's a really interesting area of yeah. where wool is made from these angora rabbits and so we documented people plucking these rabbits raw really so we you know we placed hidden cameras into this small factory and you could actually hear the screams of these rabbits when they were being plucked and you know <laughs> And yeah, so COVID has affected it. We've we've managed, we did another investigation in Belgium, which was actually released yesterday on animal markets. Okay. And that's got incredible coverage in, in the Belgian media. So yeah, I mean, normally, I think in 2019, I think we did 15 projects. So this year we've done probably about four or five. So yeah. um, it has affected us. So but one of the benefits is of that is I've had chance to try and promote tracks a bit and let people know a bit more about tracks because I've kind of decided it's now time to tell the world a bit more about our work and hopefully Definitely. get people more engaged in in our work. Yeah. So I mean, that leads me on to my next question nicely. Actually, I was going to ask how listeners, you know, who are passionate about helping animals, what you know, how can they support the work that you do or get involved or I think well first of all we've got we've got our website which is www.tracksinvestigations.org and 
there is a, a donate button if people want to actually donate financially yeah. but perhaps more importantly is kind of engaging with us on our social media because that's something we've been developing this year so that's um twitter and instagram which is at tracks eco spooks or i mean if any of your listeners actually have got expertise in social media and want to help tracks in any way that would be absolutely wonderful because okay, um, yeah. we're very new to it and you know it's something that we're exploring and if i'm yeah. honest it's something that we haven't got too much expertise in and you know, we like to think we've got expertise in investigations but social media isn't really our bag and yeah. it's something that, something that we're learning about and something yeah that that is important i'm kind of realizing it's important because yeah. that's where so many people get their information these days <laughs> so, yeah it's very true and it's yeah. i mean social media is changing all the time as well isn't it so you know even even someone who is used to using it i think has to constantly sort of you know keep abreast of all the changes <laughs> absolutely i mean I mean, that's one of the beauty of tracks. Generally, we have in the past worked with organisations who have got social media teams, have got lobbying teams, have got campaigning teams. Uh, but that's an area that we want to develop into in, within next year is actually do our own investigations because yeah. we think there's so many subjects that we'd like to do and we're getting tip offs. And sometimes we get a bit frustrated that we can't do that project and that is certainly an area that we're looking into doing our own investigations. Yeah. Okay. So what gives you hope for the future? I think I've been involved in the animal rights movement for 30 years and I've really seen it moved into the mainstream. You know, 30 years ago, I was kind of seen as a bit of a crank. You know, animal rights activists were either hippies or punks or yeah. or cranks, basically. and now I've seen, you know, it move into the mainstream. Um, I think it's not just campaigners that are involved in animal rights at the moment. I've seen, you know, there's, there's, you know, animal rights issues are being championed by scientists, educators, chefs. I mean, it's amazing that chefs are getting involved with <laughs> talking about animal rights issues. Yeah. You know, there's lawyers, entrepreneurs, innovators. I mean, for innovators like the people behind this clean meat and beyond burger you know that's that's very much part of activism you know i really see that's that's an amazing part of activism which is actually changing people's perceptions and people helping people's choices you know of what they eat you know you did your interview for example with derek sarno which i thought i think he's an amazing guy who's who who um has provided all these plant range plant-based ranges in tesco's you know and the fact that I can go into Tesco's and I can go into any supermarket and get a whole range of plant-based meals. You know, that 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 what gives me hope. I think there's a growing movement, and especially in the last three years, the movement's been it's just mushroom for want of a better word. <laughs> <laughs> Very apt when talking about Derek. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And yeah, I, I just love the fact that you have so much choice these days you know and and it's not a difficult option to become vegan you know you know when I became vegan 32 years ago I mean god the food was terrible the vegan food was terrible they had this thing called V's which was a horrible cheese you had the <laughs> TVP textured vegetable protein chunks which was oh, kind god. of a horrible 
meat substitute. You know, it really, it was kind of a chore. It was yeah. a chore, but it's not a chore now. So there really is no excuse. And uh, yeah, there's no excuse not to go vegan now. And yeah, I'm heartened there's this whole new generation of conscious, conscious consumers who are actually thinking about what they're eating. And uh, yeah, it, it's, yeah, that's what's given me hope because I'm an optimist, really, and I have seen change in the last 30 years. You know, I have seen a change where it's, you know, and, and I've seen legislative change and I've seen public awareness change. So, yeah, I think there's a there's great hope. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.